Hello, welcome to another episode of Papa Bear Hikes. I don't know about any of you, but when I'm planning one of my outdoor excursions, it takes me more than a car ride away from home. I get so caught up in, wow, I can't wait to get on this trail. And do I have the right gear and the right food? And where am I going to stay? That oftentimes logistics is the last thing I'm thinking about. And it's probably the most important. Let's face it. If you get somewhere and you hike three, four, five hundred, maybe a thousand miles, you still have to get home. Today we have with us someone who's very passionate about travel, sees it as a, a path to our well-being. I'd like to introduce our guest, Dr. Ola Abbas. Dr. Ola Abbas, welcome to Papa Bear Hikes. Thank you very much for having me on today's show. Thank you, Martin. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Ola, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself, because there's more there than just your passion for travel. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes, absolutely. Um, so I am um, a consultant in the NHS here in the UK. Um, I'm dual accredited critical care and acute medicine, and both of them are very high rate specialities, very high intensity. Um, I've been doing healthcare for about 18 years of my life, and I got to a point where it was fair to say that um, I was running on an empty tank. I was completely burnt out from the job, as good as it is as gratifying as it is helping other people um, get better, get, get their health back in shape. It was taking a big toll on me. And that's when I realized I need to do something different. I need to to have something that will um, make me more balanced, make me balanced, basically, and help me move forward with my life. And, and that's when I came across travel. Before that, I have done the odd trip here and there, but quite a few things have held me back. One of them is being um, a single woman, um, you know, I lived in the Middle East most of my life and just traveling wasn't that easy and that flexible. And then when I lived in the UK, it was about, you know, how do I go about it? You know, how do I travel on my own? And things like you said of like how I enjoy outdoors, the outdoors and I'm more a bit more on the soft adventure side of it. So so hiking and long walks and, and, and things like that. Um, so I was like, right, so how do I get myself into all of this? And then that's when my passion for travel really started to unravel um, and when I started to take my longer trips and and go on my hikes and I've actually got Machu Picchu planned for next year so that's going to be really really exciting yeah. wow well that's pretty <laughs> cool uh, tell us a little bit about that trip I'd really uh, I'd really like to hear about your pl- if you can share with us some of your plans and inspiration for that trip yeah, absolutely. Now, um, so one of the things that I wanted to, to kind of like share with other people as well, because it's something that I come across um, quite frequently is um, especially women probably of my age group. So like between their 30s and maybe up to their 45s, that kind of age category, they always tell me that we would love to go out on these kind of trips but we don't know how to go about it or we don't know how to do it. Um, or they feel a bit intimidated of having to carry their gear or to arrange what gear they have. Or, you know, like when someone doesn't have that kind of experience and they go to the shops and they feel that they've bought all of this expensive stuff. And then when they arrive on their trip, they don't know how to use it or they got themselves the wrong stuff. Um, so a, a way of, of going around it, and this is something that I have ended up doing for the Machu Picchu um, trip, is to have um, to organize or liaise with a travel company that would help you on that matter. Um, so when we're going out to Machu Picchu, it's actually a group of us who are people between um, like their ages of 20s up to the ages of the oldest person that's coming with us is 66. 
So it's quite an interesting um, mix and number of people. And we are flying out from all places across the UK. So we've ended up having to take up this company who would help us with our trip um, because it's just with the logistics of everybody of where they're coming from on what their individual needs are going to be. But I just found it like a really good option for whether it's solo travelers or group travelers um, that they can actually use the services of another company or they can get to their destination and rent their gear from there without having the headache of flying it across or carrying it with them. Um, so, yeah, so we've got that sorted for next year for um October time. So at the moment, what we're doing is we are building up our own physical endurance, because as I said, we've got people from like different backgrounds and different physiques. Some of us are um, personal trainers, so they're in top shape. And some of the older generation, the older people need a little bit more work. So we're working on creating programs. Um, so that we can exercise together, build our physical endurance, um, and yeah, get ourselves ready for the trip. Now, Ola, you've shared that with us and you're saying we, so I now want to, I probably should have asked, we should have gotten into this first, but I was just so excited to hear about that trip. <laughs> I, I wanted to talk about it. You own an international travel franchise. That's yes. your, not just your passion, but a profession. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that because, you know, now we've heard what you're doing to set up this trip, but Tell us a little bit about your business. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, when I found travel to my well, and, and and it created that well-being for myself, I was so passionate about taking it to other people and helping them as well with it. Because especially in the healthcare profession that I work, I see a lot of people around me who just need that. It might be, um, you know, the luxury high-end traveling and all of those nice stuff, but it might be just that weekend hike where they can just go out and and walk and just be with themselves and the nature, have a nice hotel at the end of it. They stay the night and they come back home so they don't have to, you know, do the camping and the tent and, and all of it. So it's kind of like, I wanted to bring travel in all of its diversity to the group of people around me who are so burnt out from their job that they just can't find themselves carrying on with it anymore. Um, so I wanted to bring it to them in a way that it will give them that balance. So that's how I got started in the travel business. Got involved in a travel opportunity where I can help people become travel business owners. And basically, that's how I grew my travel network. So um, it started with me being a travel agency, helping other people um, book their travel, their trips, um, help planning them as well for them. Like one of the trips that I helped plan for someone is the Camino hike. I don't know if you've heard about it, Matt. Uh, oh, Martin. yes. Yeah. yeah. And we're going to talk about that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> of course. <laughs> the Santiago Camino, it, is, it was just an absolutely lovely trip that I did myself. So I helped someone else um planet as well. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I went from being just a travel agency where I can book travel for other people to going like, okay, now I can actually coach and show people how they can become travel agencies themselves, um, whether it's for personal use or whether they want to expand it, it's, it's entirely up to them. Um, and that's how the business expanded and turned into a franchise. So you have other people, you've created this network, it sounds like. Yes, yes, yes. So yeah, the people that are coming with me on the Machu Picchu trip um, are actually people who work with me um, in the business. So each one of them is um, an agency by themselves. Some of them also work on developing their own franchises. They feel confident and comfortable in being able to coach other people on how to grow their own agencies. Um, so they've gone ahead and done that. Um, and so, yeah, so we thought, you know what, let's do a team trip. 
And we thought, like, what's the most exciting thing that we could do? Um, and a few people threw in some suggestions and then Machu Picchu came up and then we were like, oh, we're going to have to do this one. Absolutely going to have to do this one. Um, so, yeah, and we've got one of the ladies that works um, with me who's just so passionate about travel. Obviously, we all are being in the travel business. Um, but she was like, yeah, I'm taking this head on. And she started organizing it. And, yeah, we all started working together and uh, we're going. It's exciting. <laughs> And it sounds like a labor of love, right? I mean, you're working, but you're working, but it it sounds like you're having fun, and yeah. you're, and it's a trip you you're going to have fun on. We'll be back after a quick break. You ever think about what might be in the water you're drinking every time you fill up your water bottles while you're in the outdoors? I try not to, and I really don't because I use Sawyer water filters. Sawyer filter technology, because of their high standards. Every filter is individually tested three times through the process. I've been using the permethrin product for years now to protect me from, well, quite frankly, ticks and the picaridin to keep the flies at bay. Don't let bad water, insects, or a tick bite cut your trip short or even ruin it. Use Sawyer products. Go to your local outdoor retailer and ask for Sawyer products, whether it's a water filter, insect repellent, they're likely to have it. You can also go to Sawyer's website and read more about these incredible high quality products that they offer those of us who enjoy the outdoors yeah absolutely it's that cheesy thing that I never understood for about 20 years you know when they say like do the thing that you love and you'll never work again um and sometimes people roll their eyes at it but a lot of people do understand it and I finally got to understand it and I'm like there's a lot of challenges, don't get me wrong. I mean, when you build an agency and then you build a franchise and you're working with so many people, um, there are obviously challenges that come along the road. But when it's something that you actually love doing and it's something that makes you feel like, oh, I'm so like satisfied or I'm so feel so warm inside that I have done this or achieved that or helped someone else do it. Um, it just makes it all worth it. Um, and yeah, we do get to travel a lot as a team, as a team. So yeah, that absolutely makes up for all the kind of like challenges and the work that we have to do. In your, in your bio, you mentioned you have a target to empower and impact 10,000 people in the next two years to travel more and experience more and add value to their lives. It's part of this expand, you know, it's expanding your network and just bringing more people in to find the, the enjoyment to whatever yeah. form of travel is they're seeking. Yeah, absolutely. I've I've got that target in my head. I want to help 10,000 people build their individual travel agencies to have that gift of travel because once once you have it, one of the other things that it gave me, which wasn't really my primary goal at the beginning, was um, the income. Because obviously, when you start booking travel and you build an agency, you can create an income from those um, from those bookings and things. So, in addition for it to be something that you would enjoy um, in terms of travel, you can, it can also be a means of support. Um, and I know quite a few people who, throughout the pandemic either lost their jobs or weren't able to go back to their jobs um, 100%. And I just thought that this would be also an opportunity that I can reach out to people and help them with where they can find the fulfillment and the joy of travel, but also at the same time, create means um, to support them. Um, so yeah, then I set myself on a target. I was like, if we don't have a target, we don't know where we're going. We have to have a destination. So I was like, right, pick a number. 10,000 is going to be, and yeah, I'm going to do it regardless of how long it's going to take me. Right, 10,000 is the, is the destination. Now you start your journey. Yeah, exactly. That's where I've set my sat-nav to. <laughs> my, my boys have all traveled 
Uh, mm-hmm. They've been to one of them, I think, has been to almost every continent. Wow. And they all come back saying the same thing. You just learn how big this world is and how much more is out there. And they just come back feeling so much more enriched mm-hmm. when, they, when they've traveled into other countries and other continents. They, they all have stories about how it's, it's really, you know, emotionally it's healthy and, and just the joy you get out of, of travel. Yeah, and it's so humbling. I find it so humbling when you start traveling to um, like various areas. And I, I always make a point of I try as much as possible. Sometimes I'm afraid, I'll admit it, um, because when I traveled as uh, on my own as a solo traveler and I went um, to the Far East or Southeast, that was like one first time to go solo traveling. I went all in. Um, people thought I was certifiable crazy. <laughs> <laughs> because I've not really been further than a few places around home. And then I, all of a sudden I'm taking a 16 hour flight um, to all of these places in the, around the world. Um, and sometimes I do feel a little bit afraid of mixing with local people um, just because, you know, I've, I've not done it before. And I, the language might feel that the language is a barrier or something, but I do try and make a point of um living or staying as authentic as it would be for the native people there in that country so you can actually understand the culture and it's just so humbling um, to see how other people live and it really makes you open up your mind it broadens your horizon it makes the things that you might be struggling with on a day-to-day basis look and sound small compared to the other problems that other people have around the world um it, it gives you that sense of gratitude and grounding. And and then also you see other things that other cultures have and other places have and their positives or the big things. And you go like, right, I want to implement that in my life. I want to have that kind of attitude of tolerance or that attitude of kindness and, and, and loving and all of it. And it, yeah, it just, it, it shapes your personality in such a different way. If one of my sons visited New Delhi, India, on his own. And people were saying, why is he going there? He must be uh-huh. crazy to want to go there, especially on his own. But yeah. he came back from that trip thinking, wow, there's just so much more out there in the world. There's uh, so many, so many interesting people and, and so much interesting culture out there. Why wouldn't you want to expand and, and, st- and, and, and as you said, you know, live with the people. Don't go there mm. and just stay at the high price hotels and go to the resorts. Yeah. Immerse yourself into the culture. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. There's just so much to be seen. I always say that life is too short to be lived in one place. You, you just have to go out there and travel. Now, Ola, you said you were scared or a little frightened hike, uh, traveling on your own for the first time. Yeah. Well, you've got a background where it wasn't exactly a safe place. You grew up in a war-torn uh, area. How do you think that equipped you for traveling or maybe um, even inspired you? Yeah, it, yeah, I completely agree with you. Yeah, my, my background wasn't kind of like smooth sailing, um, to be exact. Um, but I, I, so I grew up in an area of war, went to an area of war and, um, it equipped me with the ability to, um, you know, think of your feet, um, prioritize what's important for you for your survival. Um, and really knowing that, if, because this is how I, I walked out of my house with the clothes of my back. Um, and then I had to reinvent myself to get to where I am uh, at the moment. So it kind of like gave me that knowledge that I'm going to be okay. You know, whatever happens, I'm going to be okay. Um, but sometimes you just can't help but feel um, that, ooh, I'm a bit 
shy or I'm a bit scared. I'm, I'm very introverted, which people don't tend to believe when they meet me. <laughs> I very much rather sit on my own, have a cup of tea, sit on my own at home and not talk to many people. But um, so when I go out traveling, it's a bit of like I need to push myself out of my comfort zone to go and speak to someone um, who hasn't approached me you know, so to speak. Um, so yeah, so I had to kind of like break through a bit of my comfort zone um, doing that. And I suppose it's a, when you're in a kind of like a war situation, it's your body is in that fight and flight mode. So it's primal survival. It's like, right, I need to just move on to the next step. But probably my mindset has been different when I was traveling because it came after a period of me living in England, you know, I've got all my niceties in life. I have my nice flat. I have my nice car. I have my, you know, my circle of people around me. And then all of a sudden I got on a flight and I just decided to go and hike off the beaten path in north of Spain or got on a flight and I decided to go to China on my own and I don't speak Chinese and I didn't have any kind of, you know, anyone around me, English or Chinese to help me. So it was way out of my comfort zone doing those things. And I learned a few things to help me feel better and more adjusted and calmer and also safer when I'm, I'm doing those things. Um, would it be okay if I, if I shared that? On the, on oh, this? oh, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, so, yeah, one of the things that I have learned is um, about picking safety apps on your phone. Um, so there are several out there and by no means am I advertising any of them, but the one that I use on my own phone is called life 360. And I found it like really, really good because you can, I know that for example, whoever you choose people around you, they will always know your location. Um, and so someone would always be watching over you, so to speak, knowing where you are. Um, and that gave me a lot of peace of mind. And with one press of a button, you can call emergency services or you can call that person um, that you are linked to on the app. There are several ones out there. But just knowing I had that made me feel far more comfortable. Um, having um, Google Translate and be sure to download the offline copy of the language before you arrive in that country because you don't know if you're going to have internet connection or not. Because um, I made that mistake when I arrived in China and I just had absolutely no means to communicate with anyone. And I arrived like at nine o'clock in the evening and it was pitch dark and I didn't have the address in Chinese language and it was such a struggle to get to my hotel. Um, so make sure you've downloaded the offline copy um, and also downloading offline copies of Google Maps um, for the location that you are going to before you actually go out. Because once you're going out there, again, you don't know how your Internet connection um, is going to be um, stable over there. Um, so, yeah, those are kind of like some some tips that I have picked up. Um, there are um some Facebook groups and some communities that people can get into if they are solo traveling um, and they can arrange to meet with other travelers as well when they're out there, just if they don't feel comfortable, you know, hanging out with the locals, so to speak. But if you have another travel buddy with you, then you might just feel a little bit more confident into um, mixing with other people or, you know, going for things like cooking classes. I always find them fascinating because People loosen up while they're cooking and they, they start to talk about their lives and their experiences. And it's just so nice to 
sit with a local family in their own home, have a, like a cooking class with them. Quite a few locals would offer that in several destinations. And you can taste the local food and just chat with them, bring your own culture to the table. They bring their culture to the table. And it's a really nice way um, to get out of your comfort zone without being too uncomfortable. My oldest son was just sharing a story about one of his travel experiences. And one of the things he loves is sharing a meal with somebody from that country, that culture, and exchanging, you know, yeah, well, this is what we do back in the United States. Yeah, well, that's what we we, we do this here differently. And he, he just finds that so interesting, such a cool part of the whole travel experience. Yeah, absolutely. It just add, adds a different layer to it. Um, and it's just so much nicer than going to a restaurant and having a meal um, without any much context to it of that place. Yeah. Yeah, because there's two ways you could travel. One is you go to, as I said, you go to the the uh, chain hotel and you mm-hmm. eat at these restaurants and you go on this uh, paid tour, this tour group, and you sit in the bus and you look out at everything from your bus window mm-hmm. or you go and immerse yourself in it. Right. Don't stay at the chain hotel. Yeah. Find the small places, the small eateries or make friends with a family. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's all about um, I think it is a concept of holidays and a concept of traveling. So when people see me going out and about and they go like, oh, you have so many holidays. I was like, no, no, no. A holiday is when you go to that resort and it's all inclusive and you just chill there and you might go to the beach. And then there's like this show on the that the resort has arranged that's a holiday for me. But traveling, which is vast majority of my trips, probably 95% of them, is when you go to those off the beaten path, you go and explore some nice local areas, go to the local shops, don't eat at the chain places, you know, try out those nice quirky coffee shops, speak to people, check out the local areas, the local markets, you know, don't buy off the malls. No, I mean, like, don't go, you know, (laughs) try the local authentic things because those are the the ones that are going to give you, like, the experiences of that area. Now I want to talk about the Camino de Santiago. And here's why I have to use some executive privilege here. As the host, I kind of have the right to do this since (laughs) it is my show. (laughs) But that is a hike that's been on my radar for years. And I'm going to put it right out there for everybody. Mm-hmm. I am so intimidated by the whole tra- idea, the whole travel idea of it. <laughs> well, I am. I'm scared. It's like, okay, so I take a plane into <laughs> France and I know I can fly home. I can take a plane to get back from Spain. Yeah. But there's those in-betweens, the airport and the start point from the trail and the end point for the trail and getting to the plane to get home. Are you uh, able to help uh, a scaredy cat like me put a trip like that together? <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely 100%. So there are three ways you can do it. This is something that I find out because I was scared as well. And I I completely give it to you. It's fine. Um, It's just that unknown. And especially if you're coming from a different continent, it just feels a little bit too far away from home. Um, So there are different ways that you can do the Camino. Um, Three ways mainly. But there are also different routes, and I'm not sure if you're um, aware of them. The main route is the one from France, so the um, base of the Pyrenees Mountains. And you would walk from there across the north of Spain to the Cathedral of Santiago. That is about 850 kilometers. 
which will roughly take you probably about five to six weeks if you don't take long breaks in between. So if we're walking about six, eight um, hours a day, maybe you take a, um, a day off, you can complete it in five to six um, weeks. Um, there are different other starting points that some people choose to take. So you will get um, so that the kind of like the nice thing about walking to the Cathedral of Santiago, which a lot of people like, is they get a certificate when they get there. I'm not sure if you knew about it or not, um, but you need to have walked 100 kilometers to qualify for that certificate. So some people choose a point called Seira, um, I think I'm pronouncing it correctly, um, which again is within France and you walk to Santiago and that's about 100 kilometers and then people feel that sense of accomplishment. So if they don't feel they're up to 850 kilometers, they can sample the smaller size um, and then when they feel brave enough, they can probably do the whole the whole length of it. And then there are several other routes that come out from different areas in Spain. Um, and there is the Portuguese coastal route, which is really beautiful in the summer because like you can always take a dip in the sea um, at the end of the walk. Um, so the ways that you can do the Camino is either you pack your gear with you and they always recommend obviously your gear would be 10% of your body weight so you're not carrying too much when you're walking that long of a distance um, you carry your gear with you and the route is very well equipped in terms of having um, bed and breakfast areas so you wouldn't need to carry a, a tent unless you wanted to camp outside so that unless that's a personal choice so if you're going on your own or even if you're going on a group and you feel like probably camping is going to be a bit too much for this length of a trip, um, you can just carry your personal items and make use of the BMBs along the route because there are plenty of them. So some people do it in a way that they would pick their stuff, get out from um, the airport. And when you go out from the airport, there actually are transport shuttles that will take you to the starting point. Um, so you can you can have that, get to the starting point, have a night there in one of the BMBs, and then just start walking. Um, there is a really good book that I can recommend. Actually, it's called um, the John Bradley book. Um, it's a small one that tells you all the stops along the Camino, and it also tells you the elevations, and so you can plan ahead of time of like how many kilometers you're going to walk each day. And if you walk X amount of kilometers, you can check it on the book. You'll be, end up like in so-and-so town. So you can, you know, you've got a night's accommodation there. Um, so that's, that's quite a good one, um, to kind of like follow. Um, so that's pretty much how majority, I would say, of the people would do it, pick their stuff up. They start walking, get to a next town, um, around four or five o'clock in there late afternoon and then they just decide to stay and you have the, the food there is amazing martin oh my god it's so good like they have something called the camino menu in most of those bnbs so when you go in there you can order from the regular stuff or you order what the local delicacies are which is called the camino menu for them and it's a three meal menu you see, it's a three meal, uh, sorry, three course um, menu, um, and it would be for something like ten or eleven euros, which is really next to nothing um, in terms of money wise. But the food is just so good, and the people are just so hospitable there along the along the Camino. Or the other way to do it is if someone does not want to carry their gear with them, is that they can arrange with local companies to move their gear for them. Um, so I. I know people who have, for example, if you've got some 
joint problems or you just don't want to carry the weight with you, um, then you can um, easily arrange with some local companies or even with the local post in North Spain. They actually do have that service for the Camino hikers is that they would move your luggage with you as you are walking along. So you tell them that I'm going to stop at this next town your luggage will be waiting for you um, at that town. So you'll just be enjoying um, the hike as you go along. Um, and the other way to do it, which is to kind of like um, go very kind of um, looks with it, so to speak, is to uh, you can arrange to pre-book your accommodation. So you can decide ahead of time and say, right, I can only walk 10 to 12 kilometers a day, for example. Um, and then you kind of book your hotels along the way, the BMBs all along the way. Um, and so that you know you're hiking during the day, but you've got a comfortable bed that is already secured and ready for you. Um, and you can just relax, have your meals, and then set off the next day and go on to your walk. Yeah, because from what I've read, it could be very expensive, or you could do it for, you could do it on a budget, yeah. depending on what you're looking for in terms of accommodations or, or food. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Accommodations can vary from anything um, as the most basic. You can stay in hostels, so um, or the most basic um, BMBs, or you can go all the way up to a four star, or even I think it's a five star hotel at the very end. Um, so once you reach to Santiago, some of the hikers, what they do is they carry on walking to Finsterre, uh, which is the end of land. So um, and at the end of land, there is a hotel there, which I think is either four or five stars. So you can definitely push it to be the high of the luxury end or you can have it very much um, on a budget. There is something to suit everyone. Um, you can go out on your own. You can go out on a pre-organized group. Um, some of them do uh, like a Zen meditation um, hiking trip. So you'd start your morning with um, a yoga teacher who would, um, you know, conduct like a yoga class and then take you across on the hike. So you can have like a guided tour if there are some people who are feeling that it's too much out of their comfort zone um, to go on their own. Um, personally, what I did was I actually hiked from Santiago uh, Cathedral to the end of land, which was Finster. And then I hiked up to Mushia, uh, which is another city. Um, sorry, it's another town on the coastal um, edge of um, Spain. So that all in all was 117 kilometers. And I did it in six days, if my memory serves me well, six days. Um, and I had so I arrived in Santiago, got on the shuttle bus um, got out of the airport to my starting point, spent a night there. It was um, uh, picked a place that was um, part of a church that is converted into a sleeping area, like a, a accommodation. Um, so it was quite nice and a really authentic experience to stay there. Um, and then in the morning, I set off walking, had some things with me on my back for my day um, day walk. Um, and then I also arranged for some stuff to be moved across. Um, and then I would get to the next town, stay in a place, mix with people the next morning, do the same thing. Um, and yeah, it got to um, some sometimes I would I felt a little bit out of my comfort zone because I'd be walking and there's just no well, no one else around me. And you're walking on your own in the woods and 
sometimes you might hear a sound and you go like, oh my God, what is that? Um, <laughs> there was a funny story of one day where I just saw someone and he just looked a little bit out of, con- it just looked all a little bit out of context because it was an area of farmers and, and everybody was either in a Jeep car and in a farming kind of like outfit gear, so to speak, or they were hikers. And then I just saw this person who was wearing city clothes and he was in a city car and he kept, just kept on looking at me and I was like, this just looks a little bit, it feels a little bit freaky. And I was scared at that moment, I would say. Um, but it was all right. It all turned out fine. It was just, yeah, just the person um, <laughs> in that area that happened to be looking and dressed like that. Um, but it did kind of like put me a little bit out of my comfort zone. Um, and then you meet people across the Camino and you talk to them and you learn about their life stories and you share that your life story and you just learn some things um, as you are talking. And yeah, once you get to the end of land, I was I was so tired. I was my muscles were so sore. Um, I had some blister, quite a bit blisters on my feet, which taught me about the importance of merino wool socks. I mean, please hikers, just don't go out with any socks other than merino wool socks, because yeah, your feet will um, regret it, or you will regret it. Um, <laughs> but once you get to that end of land, when you get to that point of um, seeing it's um, turned into kilometer zero because as you're going along the Camino, um, there it would be like there's um, some mar- land markings that will tell you a countdown to your end destination. Um, so as you're walking, you can see that the mileage is reducing, it's reducing, and then you get to the end of land and it's zero, and you go like, oh, I've made it. The feeling is just it's just so amazing. The feeling itself is just worth doing the trip for. I've seen photos and I've, I've read some stories about it. And yeah, I just, I've done a lot of hiking here in the northeastern part of the United States, but hiking the Camino has been on my list for a long time. It just seems like this is such a special yeah. uh, experience. It's just not, it's not a backpacking trip. It's an experience. It's uh, you, you mentioned the food mm. and that's the other thing I've read about is I haven't read an account of anybody who's been there and not gone on about the food. <laughs> Right from town to town, and it's not like you're getting the same cuisine for your entire trip. I mean, you you're getting food that's unique as you go along to some of these different villages. You are, you are definitely. One thing that really stands out for me was the orange juice. Like honestly, it's like nothing you have had anywhere else in the world. I mean, Spain is very unique for their orange, um, for the type of oranges that they produce, and. The orange juice on the Camino is just something else. So that with your breakfast is just amazing. And when you get off the the breakfast is, um, it's a bit of a continental breakfast. It's more on the bakery side rather than the cooked eggs and um, ham tomatoes, that kind of side. Um, But with each town, you have like a slightly different type of bakery. Um, the cakes that they make are slightly different um, and it's just so filling and it fuels you up for the rest of the day. Um, and then the evening meals, um, generally speaking, as closer you get to the coastline, they will be more on the fish side. But each night I've had something that was cooked in a different way. Um, so it's not always that you're eating the same thing made in the same way. Um, it's just, yeah, different varieties and in each uh, because the places that I stayed in were those kind of like 
small places, family owned. They might have like only two or three rooms to rent out. Um, so, you know, it's, it's homemade, um, basically the food and, and each one just had a different way of cooking it. And, and that was, that was really worth, um, yeah, really good experience. At the end of the day, you're not walking into a village looking for a familiar chain restaurant or fast food restaurant. You're, mm. you're, you're getting authentic food. <laughs> it's, you're getting the real deal. Yeah. Uh, food that's made unique, as I said, unique oftentimes to that village you're in. So I have nothing to be afraid of because, you know, the other part you talked about, the language barrier. Yeah. You know, traveling from the United States, it's French then into Spanish. Yeah. Did you see language being any sort of an issue on the Camino? Um, it was difficult. So the other hikers, um, they spoke English because the vast majority were from um, Europe. Um, I didn't meet people from America, but I would imagine obviously there would be hikers from America. Um, so speaking to the other hikers was was okay. But the problem that I faced was when you go in to speak with the um, like the accommodation um, owners when you're checking in or when you're ordering food, um, or if you just happen to stop at a very small local shop to pick a bottle of water or something, there are very few of them. There are very few of them. But if you do, then the people won't speak um, English. And it's like a Glacian Spanish. Um, so that's where Google Translate really served me well. Um, so out there in that area, don't expect to have reception. <laughs> it would be a major bonus if you have internet um, out on your route. So a paper map is a must and um, an offline copy of Google Translate just to be able to you know, ask them for the basics, like if you need something to drink or eat, or even if you like need the medical attention or, or, or whatever like that. Um, it's really good to have them as um, either pre-saved um, phrases um, or written, you might write them down or just have them as pre-saved phrases on your phone. Yeah, I am somebody who can be maybe cr too critical of, of technology, but there are the benefits and, and you've, you've, you've touched on them here, not yeah. just with the translating app, but there's a safety app, there's Google Maps and, and yeah. those sort of um, apps that could be used for people traveling. With your services, do you help steer people towards apps or advise them on apps that would be useful where they're going? Um, I do. I do. So I do recommend um, the safety apps, definitely, um, and the Google Maps because it just saves you especially if you're going on a multi-country route or a multi-destination route, it just saves you a lot of paperwork to carry with you. Um, I recommend also um, one for banking um, because it served me a lot when I traveled um, just to make my budgeting and just to make sure that I'm spending the right amount of money. And it was really good for, um, what's it called? You know, the exchange rates. When you visit several countries, that one was really good. Um, it may, it saved me on exchange rates if I was to go and exchange in a local shop. Um, so that's really a good one. Um, but yeah, I don't. I, I try to apart from those necessities. Um, I tend to stay away. I, I, I'm someone that who likes to travel with um, a book in hand, so I can read a paper page book rather than read off a Kindle. Um, so yeah, I do know what you mean, but sometimes if you use those technology, um, it can like save you time and space. It, ha yeah, it has its place in our lives yeah. and using it properly. And, and the ones you're, what you're talking about here are definitely 
times we should be using it. Mm. I mean, I have my own story with exchange rates back in, I think it was 2000. My wife and I took a trip to Canada, got in a cab and I think she tipped the cab driver, maybe a hundred and something percent, (laughs) but I've been, you know, we had just gotten, got, we had just arrived and we were kind of in a hurry. So she takes out the money and, you know, and and I said, she goes, oh, he was really nice. I said, of course he was. You just, you just tipped him $5 for a two, $2 and 25 cent cab ride. (laughs) It was something, it was. Wow. And and there's also something about being in those kind of places, you know, like when you when you're traveling off the beaten path or when you're hiking in the outdoors or in having that travel experience, even if you're going into cities, but it's also something about depending less on your phone and more on your natural human skills to communicate with other people. And because there's really no value in you being somewhere when you're just always on your phone and you're texting someone else who's sat back home or you're you're on your social media or, you know, just consumed by the technology rather than having it support your travel experience away when you're actually being a human being in connection with other human beings around you. Yeah, I mean, in all honesty, all kidding aside, mm-hmm. that's more where my issues with technology lie is the fact that you're out there and I've seen it on some of my hikes. You know, we yeah. get to a summit and People are sitting out there playing with their phones yeah. instead of sitting back and and enjoying what's right in front of them. Mm, yeah. It's being present. I mean, you know, and I, I probably, you know, I, I know it comes across judgmental. That's just me personally. You know, I'm not being judgy. Hey, if that's your thing to hike four or five miles and sit and post on Facebook or Twitter, that's, you know, good. You may find that enjoyable. Personally, I like getting up to a summit and just taking it all in having having my lunch up there and enjoying the sights yeah yeah and there's a lot of i find there's a lot of well he's just being present in the moment there's a lot of well-being in that because using that technology and having that noise constant like nowadays our lives are completely consumed by the technology isn't it like there's your phone beeps so many times a day um that i mean my phone these days are just always on silent because i'm like i'm you know i'll get to you when i get to you um and you're just consumed by all of this noise by lots of people kind of like trying to take your attention and then when you go out to have this beautiful hike be in the outdoors have this fresh air scenic views in front of you um and then you go back to your phone to get on the technology and get onto those apps and things, which they do have their time and place. And um, don't get me wrong, I built my whole business on social media. So it's not like I'm going anti-social media now. Um, but it's just like you said, they, they do have their time and place. And when you are having an experience, enjoy that experience and be present in that moment. Um because that is just, it's your rest and recharge as well. And for me, it's rest and recharge and refueling. Um, so yeah, just, just enjoying the view and, and being there. Right. It's not, you know, we're not, yeah, it's not that social media is bad. It's just that. Some of the best thoughts come to me when I'm like hiking and not looking at my phone and I'm just looking at the the road, not the road ahead of me, the path ahead of me, listening to the birds. And I just like, I have light bulb moments. I've just, I hiked recently, um, the rock in Gibraltar. Um, I hiked, I hiked down first day because I was a bit of like, Hmm, shall I hike up? I'm not too sure. I'm going to take the cable car up and then I'll hike my way down. And I had so much light bulb moments just hiking, um, down the rock. And then I decided actually now I'm going to hike it up. 
So at the very end edge of Gibraltar, or the rock, um, there are the Mediterranean steps. And these were steps that were formed in the, I think it's limestone, if, if I remember correctly, the material. And it was formed over time. And they, they used to use it in the ancient times to ascend up to the top of the, um, uh, to the, to the top of the rock. So they can see if there is any enemies incoming from the seaside. If you hike those at sunrise, then you'll obviously be the first person to see the sunrise on Gibraltar. Um, and it's just an absolutely stunning, bird's eye, breathtaking kind of view because you'll be climbing these steps when it's dark and then the sun starts to edge up from the sea and you can just stand there and you see the rock behind you and the sea in front of you and the sun coming up and it was just... It was awesome. It was, yeah, it was absolutely awesome kind of um, experience to have. And then I carried on, hiked all the way to the top and I was, was pretty chuffed um, to have um, done that. When I got to the top, I did take a picture, but I did take <laughs> I did take stock of, of, of everything around me because, yeah, just, just being in that space. I had lots of light bulb moments come to me doing that hike. Photos are great when you're out on a trip, though. Mm. Yeah, I, I personally love sharing my pictures with with people. You know, yeah. That's a lot of fun. But I know I have that when I hike alone. Sometimes I hike several hours a day by myself when I'm out on my multi week trips. Wow. And you're right. You just wow. yeah talk about those moments of clarity and finding yourself. Yep, that's where the magic happens. Yep. <laughs> so oh, a lot of people travel with gear. This isn't just simply packing a suitcase and going on a vacation. Some people are packing, bringing backpacks with them or bicycles. Do you have any advice for those type of travelers? Yes, absolutely. So first of all, when you are deciding on your gear, you need to know what are the things that you will be able to got on a flight with you. Um, so for me, two things actually stand out that you won't be able to carry with you um, on a flight, which is beer spray and stove fuel. So just be careful with those two things if a flight is part of your journey and also if you um, are intending to camp out or obviously going hiking in an area where there are bears. Um, so just be sure that those are two things that you're going to need to pick them up um, from when you arrive. The other couple of things that you'd need to know about is um, just be mindful of how much you are carrying with you. Um, when we are in our own homes, we tend to think that we will need a lot of things when, for when we go out um, on a hike. But the reality is you can probably do with about a third of what you intended to pack to go with you. So um, you don't need as many outfits as you would have thought. You need... Um, a really, really good broken into um, pair of shoes, obviously, for your hiking. You need some basic layers. You need some, um, um, you know, windbreaker jackets and things like that. But you don't need to carry um, lots of things. And me as a girl, I'll hold my hand up, Martin. I'd say I, I am so I used to be so much of an overpacker um, when I would go out um, on hiking because I'll just feel that I need to have all of these things with me. But reality is when I get there, is I don't. Um, if you are carrying, obviously, bikes and equipment like that, then you need to know about 
um, carry, you need to have um, things with you that you would be able to maintain your bike. Um, so like an, a small kit, a small equipment kit, that is something that would be an essential thing um, to pack with you. Just double check that is going to need, need to be in the checked items if you are carrying um, your luggage, obviously, across um, a plane. And if you are someone that, um, you know, you probably want to do these kind of activities, which is like biking and hiking and all of that, but you feel like you don't want to carry your luggage, then another option to look into is either shipping them across or renting them when you get to your destination. Oh, I want to thank you for coming on here and sharing all this great information with us, these tips and and your experiences. Dr. Ola Abbas, uh, where can we find you uh, if we want to follow you on social media or, or a website? Um, so on Facebook, I do have uh, my uh, Facebook group, which is the Wealthy Online Travel Business Community. Um, so that's one of my private groups. And everybody is free to join, obviously, and everybody is welcome who are interested in travel. Um, and I do have my website, which is www.elevatewithola.com. Great. And we'll put links to those sites uh, on in, in the description for the podcast. Ola, well, uh, thanks again, everybody. Make sure you check out our website, papabearhikes.com and go to our new YouTube channel, Martin Outside, and see what I've been up to, see what the gang and I have been doing on some of our recent trips. Ola, once again, thanks for giving up your time and coming on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Martin. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please feel free to leave a review. If you found it helpful or useful or just entertaining, let us know. We can be contacted at papabearhikes at gmail.com or check us out at papabearhikes01 on Instagram. Thanks for listening. Get outside and have a great day. This episode of Papa Bear Hikes has been brought to you by Avalon Publicity. Avalon Publicity, increasing the digital footprint of content creators and skilled professionals via website development and social media services. For more information about Avalon Publicity, go to their website, avalonbusiness.org. That's avalonbusiness.org.